You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, everybody. That was the Averitt Brothers with Morning Song, one of my favorites. And this is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast, where today we're going to talk about Atlanta United's 0-0 draw with Orlando down in Florida. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. And I hope that you will consider subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And thank you for emailing me your questions, which I'm going to answer in just a bit. First, let's recap the 0-0 draw with Orlando on Saturday in both teams' league opening games. I need to point out that in week one of MLS, four of the five teams that participated in the Champions League earlier that week failed to score in this weekend's games. So it could have been a little bit of fatigue, uh, a little bit of the opponents having some game film on those teams that they didn't have on their opponents. Um, a lot of reasons, but there weren't a lot of offensive highlights for the five stripes. Uh, both teams took 11 shots and put three on goal. One of those by Atlanta United was taken from midfield. I don't think any of them came from inside the penalty box, which is a little bit of a trend going back to some other games. The team created eight chances, which I guess is respectable. Defensively, it posted its third consecutive shutout. Goalkeeper Brad Guzan made three saves, one of which late preserved the result, a fantastic stop with his left hand on a shot by Alexandra Pato, who had made a late run into the box. He gotten past Walks, but Walks made up the ground and uh, had a slide tackle that partially deflected the shot, helping Guzan. So Atlanta United will now host Chicago, on Saturday at Mercedes-Benz Stadium at 8 o'clock. I'm going to be there for that one. Um, takeaways. If you're a glass-half-full person, this was a great result because it's never easy to get a point on the road, and Atlanta United was playing an Orlando team that made the playoffs last year, albeit this one was missing a few starters. If you aren't a glass-half-full person, being happy to get a point seems like the minimum expectation and kind of a carryover from last year. Uh, considering it was Atlanta United's third game to Orlando's first, that the team never really came close to scoring against the Lions, despite, despite starting one designated player, Ezekiel Barco, and another desi- former designated player in Marcelina Moreno. 
And that's kind of my view of it. Um, the team, you know, when it hired Gabriel Heinze, promised vibrant attacking soccer. I know there are new faces on the roster, but there are still a lot of faces that were on this team last year that played against Orlando that have played in the previous games. And it has scored one goal from open play. That came in the very dying minutes against an Alawalense team that was missing seven starters from its first game. The team, Atlanta had to look good in the second half of that game. That was the second leg at Kennesaw State. But again, Alawalense was missing seven starters. And it just, right now, it looks a lot on offensively, it looks a lot like it looks a lot on offense like it did under Frank DeBoer. There's a lot of horizontal passing. There's not a lot of runs being made. It's seemingly relying on the opponent to make a mistake rather than being able to take the game and dictate what it wants to do on offense. It's still early in the season. I do think the team is going to come good, but right now I don't think it's unfair to point out that the offense is not playing very well. And that is the focus of a lot of your questions. So here we go. The first one, though, isn't about offense. The first one is, is a, a frustration that many of y'all have felt and expressed to me. Does the front office, this is from David Indicator, does the front office know how burdensome it has gotten since the sale of the regional Fox Sports Networks to Sinclair to stream games for those who have cut the cord with cable? The only way to watch the games of what used to be the Fox Regionals is to pay AT&T 80 bucks a month. Yes, uh, the front office does know. Unfortunately, there's nothing the front office can do. This is a fight between Bally, which now owns the, the sports network, and basically Google and um, Disney, which own YouTube and Hulu. Uh, they don't want to pay what Bally wants, and so therefore they haven't come to an agreement on carrying the regional sports networks on these uh, over-the-air channel providers. So he also asked when the current deal expires. I don't know. I think it was a five-year deal, but I could be wrong. I need to go back and look. Um, so Atlanta United can only sit and wait. I did reach out to Bally a long time ago and wrote about that. I reached out to Google and Disney. Neither one of them chose to respond. Um, so that's where the situation is right now. I, I hate it for y'all. The team hates it. Darren Hill said they want as many of the supporters to be able to watch the games as they can. But right now, it's just in a holding pattern. Sean asks, now getting to the offense, which is the glut of most of the questions, is Marcelino Marino better in the middle and Barco on the left? That is a really good question. I thought Marino was really good in the middle last year. Barco has had many, many chances to prove himself on the wing and hasn't done so. I think he's better suited in the middle than on the wing because I don't think he has the, the speed to really worry a fullback um, about balls hit over the top. He doesn't really beat a lot of people um, off the dribble in space. In tight spaces, he's very good at getting away from people. Um, now he's just got to improve his decision-making. I, th I think he holds on to the ball too long. Instead of doing one-touch moves to take advantage of that quickness in tight spaces, he just dribbles and dribbles. Marino had an awful game against Orlando. His touch just was not there. He started – the Tuesday game against Alawalense, I don't know if he was a little bit tired. 
Um, and that affected his play against Orlando, but he, it was probably the worst game I've seen him play since he came to Atlanta United. I think he, Marino is going to be good. I think he's going to be very good. Um, watching him in the preseason, he was fantastic on the wings. I think he just had one bad game. So I think a little bit of patience with both players is required. Do I see more minutes coming from Machol Chop, uh, the team's homegrown signing? It was really interesting to me that he was the first winger off the bench against Orlando ahead of Jurgen Dom. Um, I thought that Chop had a, a good preseason. You have to consider the quality of the competition. I think he's going to be a good player. He's another one uh, like Barco. I think just needs to play instead of thinking a little bit, but it's understandable that this was his debut in professional soccer. Um, I think he's got a bright future. He's fast. He's big. He's strong. He doesn't mind putting in a tackle. He says he needs to improve his crosses. So I think as he starts to gain confidence, you may see him getting a lot of minutes this this uh, preseason because Jurgen Dom didn't start against Alolense, didn't start against Orlando. I think that Gabriel Heinze might be seeing what a lot of clubs saw in Dom before, a lot of speed, just – He's got to relax a little bit once he gets the ball in the final third. He seems to try to do like five things at once, and then none of them come off. But I like Jurgen Dom as a player. I think I think he's going to end up being a good player for Atlanta United, but he's just got to work those things out. When does Franco get minutes? I think you'll see Franco start, um, if not start against Chicago, come off the bench against Chicago. The Anton Walks-Miles Robinson partnership, three consecutive shutouts. It'd be a shame to break that up right now. Um, but I think you'll see him come off the bench uh, against Chicago if Atlanta United has a lead. Why did we look so much better in the Champions League, Sean asked. This was his fourth question. I don't think the team looked great in the Champions League. Um, I thought it looked good in the first half of the first game. It looked great in the second half of the first game, but you have to consider the conditions. You're playing with 10 men and holding on to a one nothing lead. <clears throat> the second game against Atlanta Valencia, I thought the team looked really drab, in the first half, it started to look better in the second half. But again, for the third time, Alolense was missing seven starters from that first game, six or seven starters from that first game. It was pressing to try to get a goal because it had to get a goal to keep the series going into extra time. So that gave Atlanta United some space. But I didn't think Atlanta United was particularly great um, in Champions League. Now, Noah asks... From your perspective, is it too early to tell exactly how Atlanta United looks from their first MLS game under the new manager compared to last year? That may be a broad question, but for those of us that could not watch, it would be nice to see what your analysis was from game one and if you have any big predictions going forward. Well, as I said a few minutes ago, I think the team in its first game against Orlando looked a lot like the team did under Frank DeBoer last year. Um, It didn't get its first shot on goal until I think the 43rd minute, something like that. And it was from Jake Mulraney uh, outside the box, uh, right at the goalkeeper. It didn't really threaten Orlando's defense at all. It didn't. Ma- it wasn't making them make decisions. It had, there may have been one more, but it had one really good moment. It was a run by Brooks Lennon, and I don't know if it was Sosa or Robinson who found him with the pass, and his shot got blocked. It was very reminiscent to the run he made in that Charleston training exercise at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in which he scored. That was a nice moment in the first half. But other than that, there really wasn't anything that made Orlando's defenders make decisions, which was a constant criticism I had last year under Frank. Um, Any big predictions going forward? I think Atlanta United is going to get this sorted out. I think the players right now are thinking a little bit too much instead of actually playing. But I think the offense is going to come good. Daniel asks, 
Based on yesterday's game, do you think the lads are going to get the most build up on counterattacks through the middle or from wide? I fear they'll go through the middle and the park too much when we've got a squad that could make more damage through the flanks. I think they want to make damage on the wings. That's why Santiago Sosa is continuing to work on those diagonal passes out to the wings. That's why Moreno and Mulraney and Dom and Chop are out there on the wings to take advantage of that speed. Uh, Joseph Martinez, we really don't know how fast he is right now as he recovers from his knee surgery because he hasn't had a chance to go uh, in a sprint against a defender. Uh, and I say that speaking to the counterattacks. So that's still a question mark. Jacob asks, looking at Atlanta United's average positioning on the MLS map and just watching the game on TV, it's obvious the team is still lacking a threatening number nine. I hate to say it, but I feel like we're going to have a lot of possession with very little to show for it until someone steps up in that role, which sounds scarily familiar to 2020 to me. Lissandro has not been threatening on goal, always in the midfield and never in the box. At this point, we'd love to see Kubo or Conway get a run out. What say you, Doug? Uh, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, at least against Orlando, if you look at the passing map on the MLS app, which can be found on the stats uh, and then the club, uh, Lissandro Lopez was the striker, but he often received the ball behind the average spot where Ezekiel Barco received the ball. So he was having to come back to be involved in the play a lot against Orlando. And if you if you look at the dots on the map, those dots didn't even extend even close to Orlando's final third. If you look at Orlando's passing map, its two strikers were probably right at 35 yards from goal out where they most uh, receive the ball on average. Um, so that's another problem. Atlanta United's formation against Orlando got really, really compressed into a rectangle that uh, just was easy to defend. Um, I don't think you're going to see a lot from Kubo Torres or Jackson Conway this season. Um, I think Kubo Torres got a few minutes in one of the preseason games. Jackson Conway didn't get any. Um, I think you're going to see Conway mostly maybe training with the ones, but playing a lot with the twos, which is what he needs to get playing time and, and, and game experience. So I think it's going to be Joseph and Lissandro getting most of the minutes provided, you know, no injuries and things like that. Dion asks, a lot of possession and a lot of good passing, but not too many good looks. What do you think needs to change to actually make chances in the final third? People need to move. Um, you got to have runners. If you're just trying to win one-on-one battles over and over again, it's going to be hard. As Heinz has said after the game, the other team is trying to win too. you got to make it easier by having people make runs into spaces, the kind of things we saw a lot against Charleston and then didn't see against Birmingham, didn't see a lot against Alo Valencia, and definitely didn't see against Orlando. Um, the fullbacks are overlapping, but I can't remember against Orlando – uh, the ball actually going to the over, to the fullbacks on an overlap. The fullbacks did get involved a little bit, but I don't think it was from that or even on an underlap, um, which they did a lot against Charleston in that training exercise. So you just got to have some more players making runs to make defenders have to make a decision. Do I want to stay with the ball? Do I go with a runner? Who takes this space? That That's how you unlock a defense. Uh, what are your thoughts on us not really scoring goals this year so far one being a penalty kick and one being a last second goal from the opposition pushing forward i think i've i've covered that uh the offense isn't very impressive right now 
But as Heinze says, it just they need more minutes. They need more minutes. They need to make mistakes, and they need to learn from them. He seemed to get a little bit testy with our questions about the offense in his very brief press conference on Saturday. That's just how it's going to be with him uh, while he's with the team, and I, I hate it. Uh, but that's just how it is. Um, Jonathan asks, when are you going to learn Spanish so the rest of us don't have to? I'm trying. I've been doing Duolingo. I've been looking at things online. But I'll be honest with you, it's never going to be good enough that I am not going to need Justin or Pedro uh, and their excellent work to help me out. Um, And then from the Twitters, because people didn't want to email for whatever reason, does it concern you with what we saw versus Orlando? It was almost exactly the same under FDB, Frank DeBoer. Not many clear chances. The only chances we got for the most part were from breaks or transition moments, and we couldn't create anything through the middle. It was basically through the wings. I think I've covered this. Uh, yeah, I thought the team looked a lot like DeBoer. Uh, I didn't really see the team pushing on breaks either. That was a little bit concerning to me in the first half. There were two, at least two chances I saw that the team could have gone with a four-on-three or even a four-on-four and just sat on the ball. I don't know if it was because of the heat, if that was what they were told to do by Heinze, but that's not the attacking soccer that I thought we were going to see. But again, first game, a lot of games left. We'll see what happens. Uh, Another one, if the team is not consistently creating seven-plus chances and scoring two-plus goals per game by the end of May, I'm going to reach for the freak-out button. Is that a reasonable expectation from this team, or are we a defensive team that grinds out results while scoring one to two goals? I think seeing the team score more than two, average more than two goals a game is a little bit lofty right now. I think they should create more than seven chances, definitely. But I think you're going to see a lot of two goal, two one, two zero, two one, one zero losses, wins and losses this year. I don't think you're going to see the same team that you saw in 2018 the beginning of 2018, or the end of 2017. Now, the reasons for that is, in my opinion, the team doesn't have a Miguel Almiron and doesn't have a Tito Viaba. Those two guys were terrors for defense because they were so fast, because they were so uh, up and down. They didn't go left and right. They went up and down. And right now, as you see from Barco, he is much more a left-to-right player. Pitti was much more of a left-to-right player. Uh, we don't know about Marino on the wings. I think he's going to be up and down, but Orlando wasn't a good example. Mulraney is kind of a, a left-and-right type of a player. Um, and when you do that, you give the defense time to get organized, for players to get back. When you're going up and down, it's a foot race. And Almiron and Viaba were not going to lose those foot races. Um, you know, when you go back and look at Atlanta United's history, buying Barco and not playing Viaba as much and then selling Viaba, I think is going to go down as one of the just a poor decision made by the franchise. Um, Viaba to me is still a very, very good player, and Barco still in three seasons has yet to match what Viaba did in one se- his first season. Uh, it's it's crazy, but that's how it is. That's in the past. Another question. The decisions the team made in the attacking third did not seem to create many solid chances. We should be more productive without Joseph making magic happen. Is the lack of scoring due to player skill, poor decisions, or a lack of time in the system? 
Uh, I don't think it's a lack of player skill. I think it's poor decisions and a lack of time in the system. Poor decisions coming from a lack of time in the system. I think that the team is going to get it worked out. I do think that you are absolutely correct and that the team shouldn't have to keep pointing at Joseph Martinez getting back as the reason that it couldn't score against Orlando. As Gabriel loves to tell us, whenever we ask him about individuals, it's a team game. So you can't sit there and say, well, the team needs Joseph to get back. And when that happens, it's going to score goals. That's not how it works. That's not how it works at all. There's 11 players on the field. There's 30 players on the roster. The team should be able to score without having to wait and rely on one guy. Does Barco deserve to start? Uh, yes, I think he does. Uh, if he continues to you know, underproduce, which has been the case the previous three seasons, we could talk about that, but we need – a much bigger sample size of probably eight to ten games to make that determination. What is your take on the winger depth? Has Chaw taken over first winger off the bench over Dom? I think it's going to depend upon the opposition and what is needed. But that was exciting to watch on Saturday to see Chaw come off the bench. All right. Well, that wraps up your questions. I really, really do appreciate you sending them to me. I kind of like this format for the podcast right now particularly when uh, I'm having to do it from home and not from like a stadium, which is the t- case the previous couple of years. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now, and I hope you'll consider subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Atlanta United will host Chicago at 8 p.m. on Saturday at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Capacity will be 50% of the two lower bowls. Please look for my coverage uh, about the team from the rest of the week. We haven't gotten a media schedule. This is another kind of issue with the team. We don't get the schedule until the day before, so we're kind of left at the mercy of, of whoever makes that decision. In previous years, we would get it for the week, so I could, we could plan out and plan stories. Now it's just kind of fly by the seat of your pants. Um, but anyway, this is another Southern Fried Soccer podcast. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC.